find that on page 665, if I got the right uh, page, 665 in the Pew Bibles. Psalm 145. Going to look at the whole psalm this evening. Psalm 145, verses 1 through 21. This is the very word of God. A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are fallen and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just uh, are so thankful for your word. We thank you for what we've read now, and we ask that as we hear it preached, that you would please bless our hearts, change us, give us grateful hearts. According to your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. What are the necessary ingredients of thankfulness? Some of you have been thinking a lot about ingredients this week, ingredients of Thanksgiving dinner, but what are, the, what are the necessary ingredients of a thankful heart, a thankful heart to God? As we think about what's going on this week, we could, we could say, we could understand that we have a number of ingredients already here uh, that we are going to experience that should at least contribute to a thankful heart. Going to have a, an abundance of food, a, an amazing abundance of food, a delicious food. Some of us are going to get some time off of work, some time to relax, to be with others, to be with friends, and to be with family. Tomorrow uh, we're going to be participating in something that has a long, a long historical pres- precedent of thankfulness. 
Uh, Whether you trace Thanksgiving uh, back to 1620 with uh, the Pilgrims or 1789 with uh, George Washington's proclamation of the Day of Thanks or 1863 and Abraham Lincoln's uh, standardization of Thanksgiving, uh, people in our country have been setting aside a day to thank God for many, many, many years. And if all of those things aren't enough, you have the President of the United States giving you a nudge. I'm not sure if you've read this uh, yet, but just hot off the presses today. I, Joseph R. Biden, Jr., President of the United States of America, by the virtue of the authority vested in me, uh, do encourage the people of the United States of America to join together and give thanks for the friends, neighbors, family members, and strangers who have supported each other over the past year in a reflection of goodwill and unity. So we have all these ingredients, all of these ingredients that should uh, contribute to a thankful heart. But are those ingredients enough to guarantee that you will have a thankful heart? We have to say no, wouldn't we? It's possible to celebrate Thanksgiving without actually being thankful. See, in order to have a truly thankful heart, a, a heart of thanks to God in the midst, even in the midst of bounty and provision, your spiritual eyes need to be opened. You need to see with spiritual eyes, you need to have your eyes open to behold behind all of the good things that you have in your life, you need to be able to see a good God. And that's what we really need in order to celebrate Thanksgiving properly. properly. We, that's what we really need in order to celebrate, in, in order to, to be truly thankful. We need to be able to see rightly, to see with eyes of faith, to see rightly behind all of the good, to see a good and glorious and personal God. Psalm 145 helps us in this. Psalm 145 pulls back the blinds, if you will. It kind of lifts, lifts up the ceiling, lifts us up above the ceiling of ourselves. It helps us to see something of the, of the glorious God who is good. And so this evening, we're going to look to Psalm 145 to do just that, to help us to see God. Now, instead of following this uh, psalm kind of from the beginning to the end, as we might ordinarily do it, this time, uh, this this evening, we're going to follow follow this psalm from maybe the way that you would would think to get above uh, above a ceiling, get up. We're going to start close to the ground. From the ground up, we're going to think about things about God that are easier, easier for us to see, closer to us. We're going to start there and then we're going to move out to things that are more global and more universal about God, but are perhaps more difficult to see. And that will take us kind of roughly from the end of the psalm to the beginning of the psalm. And as we follow this path from these things up close to the things that are more universal and global, we're going to look at six descriptions of God that we ought to see to help us to be truly thankful So first, first this evening, you need to see the God who feeds, the God who feeds. God is the God who gives food, who who feeds, who feeds his creation.
creation. It's, it's hard. It's, it's good for us to start here. Just start here thinking about God because food is what's on most of our minds, right? Some, some of you, you're, you've been thinking a lot about the preparation of food, concerned about that part of it. Others of you are thinking more about the consumption of food. Kids, maybe some of you, yeah, you're already thinking about, imagining what's going to be on your plate tomorrow. So we're thinking about food in this way. Tomorrow, probably all of us will have an abundance of food, more than we need food, more tasty than we need it to be, an overflowing abundance of food. Psalm 145 tells us that that food comes from God. Look at verse 15. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Food, even food, comes from God. It comes from God. It comes from the good God who opens up his hand and he satisfies the desire of every living thing. Since our family has moved up here to the North Country, my kids have had uh, an advantage over a lot of the other kids that uh, we used to live around. They have this advantage. They, they are able to see firsthand that food doesn't just come from the store. It doesn't just come from a factory somewhere, but food comes from animals and plants. Milk comes from cows. Sausage comes from pigs. Broccoli comes from the garden. Kind of part of the lifestyle up here is producing food. So you all know probably better than most people what my kids have learned where food comes from. And yet if I were to ask you... uh, ask you that question, ask you where food comes from, the right answer is still God. That's that's still the right answer. Food comes from God. It comes from the open hand of God. God gives us food. He feeds us, not, not directly, but by overseeing the thousands of things that we have to, that have to go right for us to be able to eat and just think for a minute about all those things. All those things that have to go right. The rising and setting of the sun. Rain at the right time and the right amounts. Temperatures not too cold and not too hot at the right time. Think about all the biological processes that go into plants and animals growing. Uh, there, are, there are people, there are people like some of you who have given their lives to producing and tending and and growing food. There's infrastructure to process food and package food and transport food. And we have a country that's at peace, enough peace that all of these things go on without interruption. And then more personally, God has given each of us either the ability to earn money and to buy food or people who are generous you kids, your parents are these people for you. People who are generous, to, who want to share, and they give us food so that we can enjoy. None of these things just, just happen. They don't just happen automatically. They don't happen on their own, but they come from the open hand of the God who feeds. And so God feeds. We need to see God behind all of the good food. All of the good food that you will enjoy tomorrow. Behind all of that is a good God. 
But as that gets us started, we can start to see other things, other ways that God is good to us, that God helps us besides just giving us food. And so, second, this evening, you need to see the God who preserves. He preserves. God preserves. Look at verse 14. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Verse 20. The Lord preserves all who love Him. God preserves. Certainly you can, you can see, you can understand, you can know all of the ways that God has fed you over the last year. He's preserved you that way. But there are other ways that God has preserved you over this past year as well. Aren't there? How has, how has God preserved you? How has He preserved you? Perhaps there were times this year when you were falling. When you were falling, falling Relationally, perhaps, relationships not going right, maybe misunderstandings and hurts and conflicts, so that you might describe yourself as falling. Maybe you were falling spiritually. Spiritually, your faith was waning. You were distracted. You were in a bad place. Your heart was growing hard. Yet, if you look back today, you consider yourself today, you, you can see that you're not falling now. You're not falling now. You were lifted up. God lifted you up. Or perhaps there were times over this past year when you were bowed down. Bowed down, bowed down with discouragement. Bowed down with physical pain. Bowed down with other kinds of trouble. And yet, as you think about it today, you are, you're not bowed down today. You're not the way you once were, but the Lord raised you up. And these changes in your life, they didn't just happen naturally. They, they weren't just sort of the inevitable results of the ebb and flow of life. These changes, you're being lifted up, you're being raised up, kept when you were falling, when you were bowed down, when you, uh, you, the Lord preserving you, these things came from the hand of a good God who preserves. God preserves. But not only does God preserves, preserve, but He often does that in direct response to His people's prayers. And so third, on the, on the way to a thankful heart, you need to see, you ought to see the God who answers. The God who answers. Now sometimes God is, is just simply good to us. He, he just preserves us. We can look at our lives. We can look at our lives and think about his, our lives and we can just see His marvelous interventions into our lives. Perhaps uh, for some of you, that was even when you, while you were uh, an un- unbeliever. Things you didn't ask for, things you didn't even know to ask for, the Lord simply gave you. He just, he just preserved you in a marvelous way. And yet, God more often, or, and in a sense, maybe more wonderfully, intervenes into our lives in response to our prayers. He hears us because we cry out to Him. He he answers us in response to our prayers. Verses 18 and 19. The Lord is near to all who call on Him. To all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He also hears their cry 
and saves them. God is a God who answers. Over the past year, how has God answered you? I've been thinking a little bit about uh, the kinds of things that we've been praying for as a church, the, the Lisbon RP Church, as we've been gathered together to pray in our public worship and our prayer meetings. Perhaps some of those, some of the things that we've been praying for, you've been praying for as well at the, here at the Grace Presbyterian Church. After thinking through that list, it's clear to me that the Lord answers prayers. Both of our congregations have prayed, have prayed for pastors. The Lord has answered. And we prayed for people who were sick, who were restored back to health. We've been, we prayed very specifically for people who were sick with the coronavirus that have been restored back to health. And we prayed for uh, people who were struggling with cancer, who are now cancer-free. For a, a woman in a coma, who was in a coma for months, who came out of it. For a young boy who was suddenly and inextricably suddenly and inextricably couldn't walk, but now can. We prayed for safety and travel. We prayed for comfort and grief, and the Lord has given us safety and comfort. We prayed to the Lord, uh, for the Lord to establish new households in Christ, and He has done that. And to grant wisdom to our leadership, and He has done that. The Lord has answered. We prayed for our churches to grow, and the Lord has made them grow. In your personal lives, you can think of more. I'm sure you can think of more. If you think back over the past year, more ways that the Lord has been near to you when you called on Him, how He has heard your cry and saved you when you've prayed to Him. You just, you just need eyes to see. You just need Him to open your eyes, eyes to see the God who answers. So God feeds and preserves and answers, but then forth. As we see more and more of this God, we also need to see the God who works. The God who works. Now all that we've been considering so far are indeed God's works. Uh, These things are God's works. His feeding and His preserving and His answering are His works. His mighty deeds. Uh, Verse verse 13, the second part of verse 13 and verse 17 kind of summarize the the very things that we've been talking about as God's works. So verse Verse 13, the Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. So these things are indeed God's works. But David in this psalm, he speaks about God's works in kind of bigger and grander and greater ways than just God's individual interventions in our lives. If you look up in the psalm to verses 4 through 7, we see, God, we see David speaking of, of God's works, praising God for his works collectively, calling us to marvel at these things, marvel at the works of God. He calls them God's mighty works, God's wondrous works, the might of his awesome deeds. David commits himself to meditating on them. He expects that one generation is going to tell them to the next generation so that the glorious splendor of God's majesty would be proclaimed forever and ever. Now when God's works are spoken of this way, when they're elevated and praised in this way, when they're held up in this way, what's in mind? 
is more, includes, but is more than simply the individual and personal interventions of God. When God is praised for his works in this way, what is typically in mind in the scriptures are God's great works of redemption. His great works of, his, of redemption that God worked to form and to preserve his people. Call to worship this morning was from Psalm 105, which called us to sing to God, to tell of all his wondrous works. And if you go on and read the rest of Psalm 105, uh, it lists out what these works are. It lists out God's great works of redemption, God making and preserving his people. God making a covenant with with Abraham, making a covenant with Abraham. God protecting Abraham from threats. God guiding and helping Joseph, helping him even in, in Egypt. God preserving Jacob's family by bringing him and his family into Egypt and protecting them from the famine. And then God bringing the family of Israel out of Egypt. Doing that with great power with the the plagues, the ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea. And then God giving Israel a good land, the land of Canaan for their inheritance. These great works are God's great works of redemption. His, His works making and saving his people. And so for us, as as we hear of God's works, as we hear we are to think about God's works and meditate on them and praise God for his works, we need to praise God and thank God for these things. But we need to add something to the list. We need to add to the list what these Old Testament works of redemption pointed to and were preparing for We need to think about and remember the works of the Lord Jesus who came and lived and died and rose again for us. See, God's works of redemption through Jesus really are the pinnacle of God's works. They're the greatest of his mighty acts and his wondrous works. It's only because of these great works that you and I can expect goodness from God. Right? See, on our, on our own, we, we deserve what the other half of verse 20 speaks about. All the wicked he will destroy. God must destroy the wicked. But through his great works in Jesus, for those of us who put our trust in Jesus, those who have put our trust in Jesus, God has dealt with our wickedness. He's covered our wickedness. And he's made us to be those who love him and who can expect his abundant goodness. If we are to have a thankful heart, we need to especially see this. Especially see the God who worked like this. The God who worked by sending his son Jesus to die so that whoever believes in him would be saved. And though, though we might say that this is the pinnacle, this is the greatest reason to praise God, and, this is, and, and we would rightly say that this is the great, the great uh, apex of, God's, of, of the reason for our praise of God, his great redemptive works in Jesus. We can still add more. 
And Psalm 145 adds more. And so, so fifth, we, we also ought to see a God who reigns. A God who reigns, the one whom we have been seeing already this evening, the, the one uh, whom we are to thank. He is a king. He is a king. Psalm 145 verse 1, David addresses God as my king, my God and my king. And then in verses 11 through 13, he speaks about the glory of the kingdom of that king. Verse 11, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. So the one who works and the one who has worked and the one who is working, this one is a king. And all things are under his control and he reigns over everything. He reigns even over those who are the greatest among us, the, the greatest earthly authorities we can think about. The king's heart is, in, is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he, he will. The Lord reigns. God's, God's kingdom, his reign is full of glorious Splendor, joined with his great works of redemption as it expresses his great works of redemption, God's kingdom is glorious and splendid and it will last forever and ever and his dominion will never come to an end. His reign is is real and sure now. His reign is behind everything that we see in the world Now, he's certainly and surely reigning now, but one day his reign will more fully and completely be known and displayed and seen on that day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We need to see the God who reigns. And then sixth and finally, we ought to see the God who is good. The God who is good. We've been following the acts of God, the works of God through this whole psalm, the things that God does in this psalm. And yet, and yet behind and undergirding all that God does is the God whose very nature is good. Look at verses 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. This is the God who's behind all of the good things we experience. The God who is gracious and merciful, who is good to all. And his his goodness is comprehensive and it's universal. He he is good to all. There's no part of the globe that has not been touched by the goodness of God. No creature on earth that has not experienced his goodness. And yet that comprehensive goodness and global goodness and uh, universal goodness is manifested very personally and specifically and individually. This good and merciful God shows his goodness by knowing and caring and hearing and upholding and feeding you and me. As we think about that, as we try to consider and understand this great God, we have to agree with the summary of the greatness of God in verse 3. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. A God like this, having 
And seeing a God like this is really the necessary ingredient to a thankful heart. And Psalm 145 has been helping us to see him better this evening, to see him with our, our spiritual eyes, to see him as he is, see him behind the good things that he's given us as the one who feeds and preserves and answers and works and reigns and the one who is in himself good. And may these things about God sharpen your spiritual vision and give clarity to your spiritual eyes. May these things kind of draw back the curtain to help you to see God in all his glory so that as you enjoy great abundance tomorrow, as you enjoy all the good things you will have tomorrow, you can enjoy them while taking on your lips with a heart full of gratitude. The words of verse 21. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. What a glorious and great God you are. And Father, we come to you and we bow before you and just marvel. We marvel at who you are and at all and all the ways that you bless us and show us your goodness, Lord, from our salvation all the way down to the very food we eat. We have great, abundant reason for thanksgiving, Lord. Lord, we're slow. We're slow to do this and slow to overflow with thanksgiving. We pray that as we experience your abundant goodness, even tonight and tomorrow and this week, that you would stir our hearts to overflow with great praise and thanks to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing in response from Psalter 285. Psalter 285, this is a psalm, uh, this is from Psalm 104. It really gives us more reasons, more words to use in our, in our praise of God. Stanza 1, my soul bless the Lord, the Lord is most great, with glory arrayed, majestic his state, the light is his garment, the skies are his shade. And over the waters his courts he has laid. Psalter 285. Please stand and sing. Station to keep and wrapped as a 
you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.